All right, Alexander, let's uh, do an update on what is going on in Ukraine. And let's start this video off with Kirby's claim when he was uh, speaking to reporters the other day that since December, Russia has has 100,000 casualties, 20,000 soldiers have been killed and 80,000 uh, injured in Bakhmut. Since December, only in Bakhmut, according to Kirby, 100K casualties. Ukraine, he doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to mention it. Yes. What do you make I mean, of, this, uh, of, of this claim? I, I think it is absolutely incredible claim. I don't think anybody takes it seriously. Um, it was fascinating to see how the British media covered it because the British media generally takes whatever wild claim Ukraine comes up with or the US comes up with about Russian casualty numbers and they throw it out there and they report it as if it was true. This time, this was so excessive, so wildly off beam that even they, I mean, they reported it, but they didn't really comment about it. There's not been any opinion pieces about it. It was just, as I said, uh, it, it, it clearly comes across as plucked completely out of the air. And the question is why? Why does Kirby come up with a crazy statement like that? And I'm not going to analyse it into too much detail. Can I just say, if Russia had suffered losses on that scale, there would be no Wagner organisation left. We don't know how much, how big it is, but according to the US itself, number of Wagner troops fighting in Bakhmut is about 6,000. <laughs> so, I mean, that's already cast a certain degree of proportion on this. Um, um, all the indications from the actual fighting don't come anywhere close to supporting that kind of number for Russian casualties. They suggest, on the contrary, that the Russians are inflating many more casualties than they're suffering. And, you know, I'm not even suggesting Ukrainian losses remotely are on that kind of scale. And over and atop and beyond that, I mean, we have um, the British media, the BBC and Media Zone doing surveys of casualties in Russia. And, you know, if there were losses of this kind, they would surely have spotted them. And last but not least, um, we would have had protests about it in Russia, of which we have seen no evidence. So why does Kirby come up with this crazy statement? I think there's two reasons. One is the one that Zero Hedge is referring to today, that it looks like the last small area of Bakhmut, just about a kilometre and a half in scale apparently, is about to be captured. The Ukrainians tried to mount some kind of a counterattack yesterday. It doesn't seem to have achieved very much. So Kirby may be trying to downplay the significance of the loss of Bakhmut, making out that, you know, the Russians, well, they captured Bakhmut, but they suffered all these tens of thousands of losses capturing the place. I think there's a much bigger and more straightforward reason, and that is that there is a huge row going on. And this is no doubt about this, that there is a big argument going on within the US about the direction of the Ukraine war and about the wisdom of launching this offensive at this time, this Ukrainian offensive at this time. And there's reports going, circulating that Zeluzhny, the Ukrainian chief of staff, wants to postpone it till June. 
because he thinks the Ukrainians aren't ready, that the Ukrainians are suffering from shortages of ammunition, shortages of weapons, that their troops aren't trained, that there aren't enough of them. And what I think has happened is that Kirby, who is not the spokesman for the Pentagon anymore, as I thought, but who is the spokesman for the National Security Council, in other words, for Jake Sullivan and that crowd, has come out and said, no, this isn't true, the Russians are on the map, <laughs> they've taken a massive pasting in Bakhmut, they've suffered these enormous losses, the offensive must happen now, and um, whatever problems the Ukrainians have, the Russian problems are much bigger. And I think this is what this is, I, uh, this is my own view, this is what this is about. I've been involved in bureaucratic battles myself, and this is all the hallmarks of the kind of statement that you would expect to see as part of such a diploma, uh, bureaucratic row. And note that a few hours after it, directly after Kirby made this statement, we got confirmation that Mark Milley universally believed to be the big sceptic about the offensive and about the war. He was on the phone to Zaluzhny, probably conveying the message to Zaluzhny, sorry, you've got to carry out the offensive now. The President and the White House want it. No, Sullivan wants it. Sullivan wants it. Well, the President, the president so, so, I mean, does what yeah, Sullivan yeah. wants, let's put it like that. I mean, that's really what it is. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. seems to be what that's the, all uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, basically, it's. I, I wouldn't even say it's two reasons. I think it's one reason. I think you, you you broke it up into two parts. They want everyone committed to Project Ukraine, and in order to keep Project Ukraine moving along, they uh, they have to make it seem like Bakhmut was was just some meaningless war where the Russians lost a hundred thousand uh, soldiers, and the Russians they may say it's a victory, but in all honesty, it's a huge defeat. So. You know, Project Ukraine is is going really well. I think that's yes. the, that's the general that's, yeah. framing of the narrative that they're. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I just quickly had. I mean, the Pentagon itself admitted that they have low confidence in casualty numbers coming out of the war, both Ukrainian and Russian, and the Pentagon leaks showed us that they're taking all their information about casualties, Russian casualties, from Ukrainian sources. So, I mean, if one should not place any, any uh, reliance on these numbers, which are high. I mean, they're not just high, they're off the scale, even compared to what we've been hearing up to now. Yeah, but it's always been like that. I mean, okay, you know, since... Since 2014, when the war broke out between Donbass and, and, and Kiev, the United States, the Pentagon, has been getting their information from Ukraine. And they've been basing their entire policy vis-a-vis um, -vis Ukraine and Russia on the numbers and the information that Ukraine gives them. I mean, this has been going on now for nine years, and it hasn't really changed. And even today, we see that the U.S. policy towards uh, this conflict is largely based on the information and the numbers that they're getting from the Ukraine Ministry of Defense, the Alensky regime, the Ukraine Ministry of Information. I mean, th this is, 
this has been the policy for forever now, it seems, and it's it's one of the main reasons that this is such a failed policy to begin with, because all their information is just completely out of whack. That's, this is absolutely correct. I mean, I, remember, I, I did follow the war in 2014 and 2015 very, very closely. And I remember all the claims that were pouring out and all over the media in the West and from the Pentagon and from the White House, which is, of course, at that time, the Obama White House. Let's ne- never forget that. And they all originated with one source, which is the National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine, which is still the same body that's running the war now. And uh, it, it was clear, I mean, if you followed the war closely, that the information that was being provided and the actual information coming from the battlefields was, I mean, the, dis- the discrepancy, the discordance was growing every day. And I, one sees the same, the same this time. And it's extraordinary that people don't want to learn from this, that there's this refusal to acknowledge the fact that this information that's coming from Ukraine, which is a party to this war, is not reliable. Even though the Pentagon itself, its own analysts, are telling the Pentagon that they have very low confidence in these figures. And yet, you know, they press on with it. They, and as you rightly said, they shape their decisions, they form their decisions on the basis of what they, the, the information that they get. And given, of course, that Ukraine is coming up with all this optimistic information, when somebody like Zaluzhny comes along and says, well, you know, maybe having an offensive now isn't a good idea, it's not surprising that someone like Sullivan and uh, Kirby and all the rest come up and say, what are you talking about? If if you're, you know, you, you yourself are telling us how well you're doing don't check in out of this offensive now. Just plug on, attack immediately. Don't delay. What's another month going to going to do? Um, so that's that's I think really the explanation. Yeah, this is a this is completely a political decision, and and the politicians in DC and the politicians in Ukraine and uh, the European Union they understand that that they have to go ahead with this offensive because if they don't, well, then, you know, the support is, is gone. It's lost. And they all understand that. So, so this, is, this is not so much to do with a military decision, whether the military is, is ready for this and they're trained up for this and they have their, their weapons and their, their ammunition sorted out for this big offensive. That's secondary. The politics calls for them to go forward with this offensive. Maybe they can delay a week or two or three, but that's about it. They've they've promised this offensive. They've talked up this offensive. God knows they've talked up this offensive. They're going to take all of Crimea, so they have to go forward with it. There are rumors that uh, Elensky and Sirsky are keeping Ukraine military in Bakhmut, because they don't want the Russians to announce that they've taken Bakhmut before uh, May 9th, the Victory Day celebration. I think that shows, if this is true, I think that shows how obsessed they are with with the media side of things as well. And, and that's why they're holding on to three, four buildings or two, three blocks or whatever they're holding on to. They just, they don't want the Russians to come out and say, we've taken 100% of Bakhmut. So they're holding on until May 9th. I mean, they... 
The politics and the media drive the, the, the policy towards Ukraine. Not the Absolutely. military. It's the Absolutely. politics and the media. Absolutely. That is true in Washington. It is true in London. It is true in Brussels. And, of course, it is also true in Kiev. And, you know, always remember that, you know, Zelensky's background is in television. And if you look at his leadership group, they are basically from that sort of world. From them, it is entirely about this. It is, you know, Bakhmut is the Alamo, if you like, or the Mothali or whatever. You have to defend it. And at the same time, you've got to spoil Russia's holiday on the 9th of May. And you also launch all these pinprick attacks all over the place. You derail a train here. You attack a fuel dump there. You do all of these things. You spin them. You make them sound like they're great victories, which, of course, they're not. They're not even pinpricks. These are insignificant, purposeless actions. I mean, that fuel dump that was blown up in by a drone in Sevastopol. I've seen the film of this. Now, you know, I'm not an expert in assessing this, but you could actually see it was a relatively limited area where this fire was. This isn't a huge oil depot. It's not going to have any bearing on the conduct of the war. But it creates a big blaze. You have the pictures of the derailed train. You can spin all of that. You can make it look like you're on the attack, when in fact you're not. And it, it, it was very strange how, on the day when that fire was going on in Sevastopol, this is the day when the Russians were launching a big missile strike, there was massive damage apparently done to Ukrainian facilities in Pavlograd. We don't have the full details, and maybe the Russians are overstating things, but surely an awful lot more damage was done in those strikes. But of course, we're not talking about that. We're talking about this fire and this oil dump in Sevastopol. Then we talk about the derailed train. It's all, it's all exactly as you said. It's a media operation. On the Russian side, and this is, I mean, it's the opposite to the point of an extreme. They, they decide everything, as far as I can see, on military on the, on the basis of military logic uh, and military intentions. And they tell us very little, and they explain very, very little indeed. So the result is that, you know, we get two wars being fought in completely different ways by the two sides. And obviously the Ukrainians make all the headlines, but perhaps the Russians make the gains. But of course that doesn't really get reported in the same way. Yeah, you could tell from uh, Kirby's uh, comment that he is also very, very obsessed with territorial gains. I mean, he says in his comment uh, that he made that, that Russia has only made incremental ter territorial gains. And he actually says, I want to stress the word incremental. You can see that, you know, Russia is fighting a war of attrition and they're looking to demilitarize Ukraine, which means that they want to get rid of soldiers. That's their focus is to eliminate uh, combatants, but the, the the collective West, the Pentagon, and and Ukraine, because of the Pentagon, they're obsessed with with taking over land. They yes. want it, They want that map to show the, the the land going from red to blue. You know, they they want to see the map yes. moving and showing yes. showing them taking over various territory, even if the territory is empty. Yes. They don't care because for them, it's what people can see. They can see this this map changing colors, and I guess in their minds. 
if that map is changing colors, well, then you know they're going to get uh, the the money and the and the weapons that that they ask for. Yes, I mean you're absolutely correct about this. I mean that, I, I noticed that thing. I mean you know talking about incremental gains, not talking about Ukrainian losses. I wonder whether he even has a number actually for Ukrainian losses. He's not talking about them because he doesn't actually know. What I wonder they if he are. cares. Uh, well, indeed, does he actually care? Uh, you may be absolutely right, but. What was interesting, very interesting about that, is exactly what you said, because he harps on incremental losses. And remember, he talks to the White House for the National Security Council, not for the uniformed military anymore, even though he has a military. He was an admiral, I believe. But what makes it so interesting is that even the Pentagon, even the media in the West now admit that this is a war of attrition, that the Russians are fighting it in that kind of a way. But Kirby and the sort of narrative spinners just, just won't acknowledge that. They know it's a war of attrition, but they won't draw the conclusions from this, that, you know, if you take a few 30, you know, 30 kilometres here or there, it doesn't ultimately matter if you're losing tanks losing machines if your ammunition is running out faster than you can replace it whereas the other side can do so by the way um just in the last hour or so there's been reports that the russians have had a big television conference shoigu was in charge he was talking again about the fact that ammunition there is now uh, um, being replaced, the forces, the Russian forces of ammunition, the Russian forces are being supplied with this, that, and the other. He may be not, you know, maybe he's spinning too, but it does give you a sense of the different emphasis. He's not talking about territory, he's talking about numbers, whereas in the West, Kirby is talking about territory. And really, when it comes to Ukraine, he's not talking about numbers at all. Do you get the sense that that the uh, that the Pentagon, not not the Pentagon, let's say Sullivan, Blinken, the State Department, I won't say the Pentagon, let's say the State Department and Sullivan, along with uh, with the Alensky regime, feel like they have um, an infinite amount of of people that they can throw at this conflict? I mean, do you get that sense? Because Kirby is is talking about territorial gains or incremental changes, and he's He's obviously obsessed with the way territory is 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 moving back and forth, but the the entire Alensky regime, from Alensky to Podolyak to uh, Budanov, all these guys, they've been going going on and on over the past three to six months about how they're going to take this this piece of land and how they're going to take that piece of land and they're going to get Crimea and they're going to get this and it's always focused on territory. It's never yes. focused on yes. destroying the the opponent which is the, the opposite of, of Russia's uh, statements and, and narrative. I mean, it just seems to me like, you know, all of these guys, they're just, they have this sense that they have an infinite amount of, of people that they can just continue to throw at this and throw at this until they get the territory that they want. I mean, they want the territory and the people are just kind of, you know, secondary or tertiary, you know, just, okay, 5,000 uh, casualties, let's, Send another ten thousand. Ten thousand. Send yeah. another twenty. It's, yeah. it, they yeah. seem to be in that kind of yes. mindset, which is really, really bizarre. I mean, 
you know, you well, said Kirby was, was an admiral. You would think that he would understand these things. Yeah, well, he may not understand so much about ground war. I mean, I'm not going to discuss about his background, but can I just say a few things about this? I mean, I, I, I think this is right. I think they are obsessed with territory. They see this all in psychological terms. I mean, you've explained it many times, and I think you're absolutely right. The idea is not even to take territories, territory exactly. It is to present a great victory in the West and a great victory for Ukraine in Russia, panic people there, make them turn against the Kremlin, create a political crisis in Russia, engineer Putin's fall. There's been endless articles. They've sort of dwindled recently, but endless articles about how the military in Russia are going to be furious with Putin, are going to launch a coup against him, that there's going to be some kind of political crisis there. I think this is really what this is all about. Now, in terms of infinite numbers... The Ukrainians and the Western powers know perfectly well that they don't have them. General Pavel, the Czech president, came along, said, we're out of ammunition. We're providing Ukraine with weapons. We can't supply them with ammunition to go with these weapons. And they're not even providing that many weapons, by the way. But that's what General Pavel, the Czech president, said. He's a former military chief. The Polish chief of staff has said the same thing. I don't think there's any doubt at all that there is an ammunition crisis. There's no resolution to it. Ukraine is running out of shells, running out of all those kind of things. So, on the one hand, they're hoping that they can break through quickly, achieve a big effect. If they can't do that, ammunition shortages mean that the offensive will peter out very fast and Ukraine could be facing a Russian counterattack, which might be... Very difficult for Ukraine. So that's the objective reality. But if you are Sullivan, if you are in the White House, perhaps you do have that other card up your sleeve, the infinite numbers, only the numbers are not going to be Ukrainian anymore. They might be Polish. And I'm afraid that is increasingly looking like where we're heading. There's more and more reports now coming from Western Ukraine for example, that people have been told there that the Polish, the Poles are going to come to the rescue. So that could be the ultimate agenda that we're going to be see, see play out. The Polish-Ukrainian Commonwealth recreated and the Polish army now thrown into this um, abyss to replace the Ukrainian one. By the way, we've had some numbers about Ukrainian losses, which come from a Russian side, from the Russian side. Somebody has tabulated Ukrainian equipment losses, as claimed by the Russian Defence Ministry, and it looks as if, far and away, the heaviest losses in equipment suffered by Ukraine were suffered in March last year. That was when Ukraine lost most of its tanks, most of its armoured vehicles, most of its artillery, most of everything, basically. So then it was re-equipped up to a certain level in the spring and summer and went on the offensive, as we know, in the autumn. It suffered massive losses all over again, not on the scale of March. It doesn't look as if whatever losses it suffers this time can be replaced in that same way. So if you can't rebuild a Polish army, a Ukrainian army, because you don't have the equipment and the shells to do it, and if the manpower in Ukraine is beginning to run short, the trained manpower, what do you do?
you replace that Ukrainian army with a Polish one and hope that this time you get a different result. Yeah, but the, the people of Poland have to go along with this and I don't know, you know, it's, it's one thing to support them, to support Ukraine in Poland and you're, you're not a party to the war, at least that's the, that's the mantra, that's the narrative, right? You're supporting Ukraine, but you're not a party to the war and it's a whole different thing to be a party to the war and it's going to be a part of the war outside of NATO. That's, that's my understanding. If Poland is pushed into this conflict, it's going to be Poland being pushed into this conflict without NATO having Poland's back, or at least an Article 5 situation. Yes. yes. I completely agree. And can I just say something? I mean, the, those comments that the chief of the Polish general staff was making, in my opinion, they were as much intended to signal that he was completely against this idea as anything else. The fact that he was talking about, we are out of ammunition, we are out of tanks, we're out of everything, basically. So he doesn't want to see Poland's army thrown into this battle. And as you rightly say, I think many people in Poland have supported Ukraine because they have strong feelings about Russia, which are understandable, given the past. A lot of people in Poland are already sceptical and worried if the Polish army marches into battle in Ukraine against Russia. Well, at that point, frankly, I think the mood in Poland will change. And I've, if I'm sure it will. I think the way that Russia's been fighting the war will change. I think they'll fight a very different war against Ukraine than they would against Poland. And I think it would be uh, uh, quite, quite shocking for for Poland and for NATO and the collective West when they see Russia having to, to go to go at Poland. That they're, they're gonna understand that the Russians were were, were moving very, very very carefully against Ukraine. And it's it's gonna show. Yes. I agree with that. I completely agree with that. I, 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 I just I, wonder I, if they understand all of this. I, I, well, no. I wonder if, if if Poland or the collective West understands all this because I think they've also been trapped in a narrative of Russia is losing, Russia's going slow because they're losing, the Russian military is incompetent, the Russian military has made no territorial gains, oh, look at the Russian military, they've been exposed as a, as, as a third-rate military. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people in the collective West, leadership and media, they've also fallen for this narrative without understanding the reasons why Russia has been fighting the war they've been fighting. They actually believe that Russia's the Russian military is going to be easy. It'll be easy yes, for I, Poland. Well, indeed, They'll absolutely. Just walk in there and you know, it'll be easy, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what they think. I think they think, you know, the Polish military is far better than the Russian. It can easily take on the Russians. And, of course, it, it's quite different. Again, I, there, there was a very interesting um, statement given to the House Armed Services Committee by the U.S. general who's in charge of US ground forces in Europe. And he clearly doesn't think that. Tavoli. Yeah. He said, look, the Russian army is somewhat diminished, but it's actually bigger now than it was at the start of the war. Their air force is intact. Their navy is intact. We see them more active than we've ever seen them in terms of naval operations. Again, my impression was 
that he was trying to talk this these dangerous ideas down. But you're absolutely right. I don't think people in Washington, in the White House at least, want to listen. Yeah, it reminds me of the whole, you know, Russia's a, a gas station masquerading as a country. It, it, that's what all of this reminds me of, that, that now it's, you know, Russia's a third-rate military. Look at how they've been fighting against Ukraine, and they've been, you know, just stumbling along in this conflict. So it's going to be a cakewalk for, for Poland to stroll into, into the west of Ukraine and just roll right over the Russian military. It's, they're, they're boxing themselves into the same uh, narrative that the whole economics shock in our sanctions were promising to, to deliver. I'm and afraid you're right. I'm afraid you're right. And, you know, the, the danger is that there's some people in Poland who are going to believe that, at least within the Polish government. Notice that Pavel, General Pavel, the Czech Republic, uh, you know, utterly committed to NATO and the West as he is, but someone with a military background who was formerly a member of the Czech Communist Party, by the way, and served in the Czech military during the Cold War. He doesn't appear to think that. He's also, as far as I can see, trying to warn people that this is an extremely dangerous policy that some people in Washington and Brussels want to follow. But, you know, that's it looks like where he's going. All right, we'll uh, leave it there. TheDuran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Rockfin, Odyssey, Petruda, and Telegram. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.